today's episode. It was really weird. My agent said, think of like an old family name. And so I just gave her like, well, my maternal grandmother's maiden name is Sager. And she said, ooh, I like that. I'm like, okay, good, last name done. Now the, the first name, my agent suggested initials because she wanted something gender neutral. Mm-hmm. And I would later get a lot of flack for that in certain circles. Turns but, out, yeah. Yes, um, so she wanted something gender neutral and initials. And so my original instinct was going to be, my parents' name were Ray and Linda. I was going to do R.L. Sager. Mm-hmm. And then like after like literally five seconds, I was like, oh, yeah, R.L. Stein sort of has the market cornered on those initials. Yep. And then it's ironic because he did blurb Lock Every Door, which is very good. <laughs> <interesting. laughs> so I'm like, okay, R.L.'s out of the picture. So I just went to a list of like gender neutral baby names that were very popular. And <laughs> Riley was like number three. And I'm like, oh, that's R.L. Riley Sager. That's got a certain ring to it. I think that will be my new name. So that's how, that's how that happened. That's cool. And what is it like working out for me pretty good so far? Welcome to the Modern Author Podcast. Your host, Eric Custer. I'm the king of imposter syndrome. (laughs) Says the guy who Stephen King uh, read his book and called it the book of the year. Uh, Riley Sager really is an incredible um, resource and someone that I enjoyed our conversation immensely. Someone who is operating at the highest levels of writing and yet tells the story of what it's like to struggle early on and really lose his voice, lose his his sort of publishing agreement and have to go back to find himself. Uh, And really that kind of urgency and sort of focus on the craft is what led him to become uh, the author that today is beloved. He's the author of uh, sort of Lock Every Door, Final Girls, and and Beyond. And and I think he has talked a lot about that struggle where he had a set of books that just didn't do very well and decided to release his new book through the through the uh, urging of his agent under a pseudonym and see what it would do. And in fact, Stephen King picked it up and uh, before the book was even out, tweeted that it was the uh, the book of the year. And, and that really has changed his entire life. And yet, Riley still talks about the struggles and the, the, the issues of being an imposter and feeling like this can't be me, the next book they're not gonna love and everything behind it. So I, I think that was really a great insight for all of us to know that you're never really stuck. And in fact, you can be a reinventor of yourself, even if you are publishing under your own name, even if you are publishing early, you are never going to necessarily be stuck by what you've done in the past. You can always reinvent yourself. And you do have to sort of ask questions to understand and be creative. And I think that's what Riley shared a lot about the industry uh, of publishing, production, putting stuff out there is being at the forefront, pushing the envelope and saying, well, what about, what about, what about? And I think that's what's led Riley to be such a successful author. He is someone also who's incredible at engaging with people directly. I I love actually like engaging back and forth with Riley on Twitter. He's one of those authors who, even though he has become a multi-time New York Times bestseller, he does engage with pretty much anyone on social media that walks back and forth. In fact, he says some funny things here too, especially about people who are his critics. He's not afraid to, to let them know. But I think it's important to recognize that all of us, when we're creating deal with imposter syndrome, whether we're a multi-time New York Times bestseller that Stephen King likes or on our first uh, 
uh, creation along the way. But remember, you know why you're doing this. What is the goal of doing it? And know your audience that you're writing to and you'll succeed. Uh, it's a fun conversation. I think Riley shares a lot. We also talk about how he's one credit short of graduating with a degree at Penn State. So anyone who's a Penn State administrator or maybe the president of Penn State, I think we just got to give him the last three credits so he can graduate and have a degree. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> Riley Steger, everyone. Thanks for the conversation. Remember, you too can be the king of imposter syndrome and use it as a tool to help you incredible to create incredible and great things. First off, thanks so much for, for hanging out here. No problem. Thanks for having me. You've had quite an interesting journey. Now you have writer as a career. Back you were younger. Did you think that that was like a real career path for you? No, I did not. And in fact, my major in college was film studies. Really? Yes. So it, it wasn't even making movies. It was just watching movies and <laughs> writing, a, writing papers about them, which was great to spend, you know, four years doing, but it doesn't prepare you for anything in the real world. So I fell into journal that my college had a really big student run newspaper, one of the biggest in the country. And I thought their film critics sucked. So I applied and became their film critic and then worked my way up to like being one of the higher up editors. And then I didn't even graduate college. I went, really? I got a job offer at a newspaper here in New Jersey. <laughs> so I still have French three left to take at Penn State University before I can get my degree. So, and so does, is that like a badge of honor? Like you're never going to take French three? Or is this like at some point, like there's going to, you're going to lose a bet or something? Or what, what was it? What's it going to take? Did we, did we all chip in for French three or what? I might, I, I might, I, I've been tempted just to write them and just <laughs> be like, hey, I'm an international bestseller now. Yeah, it turns out. I don't need French three, right? Can you just give me a degree? And maybe they would, that would work. I don't know. I think probably move, not. Here's, here's the move I would tell you to go with. I think you need to like, don't take the degree, but jump straight into honorary degree. Like you need to go over that one and get the famous <laughs> one to say that that's the, that's the real boss step right there. Just jump over that one. Just be like, I don't, I don't need an undergrad degree. Why? <laughs> We're just going to get going after it. Can we just go for, for it? Me? Yeah. But Stephen King question. And Stephen King writes in On Writing how difficult it was to write in the perspective of a female character. He, was, he talks about Carrie. What is it like to sort of write as a, a different character that you, in some ways, can't empathize with directly? How do you get yourself in the mindset of, of a character that you can't directly relate to in that way? Well, it, it was interesting because I, I like to joke that if the horror movie trope was Final Boys, my career would be very, very different. <laughs> But it, it is final girls. And yeah. so I knew, okay, I'm writing about a final girl. She has, it has to be a female narrator. Mm -hmm. And that was really all the thought I put into that. Like I could very much relate to Quincy, the main character of final girls. She's very, very much like me, hmm. which considering that character is a little bit messed up. But I was going through some things at the time, and so I used Quincy to sort of get it all out there. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't think, what would a woman do in this situation? Mm -hmm. It was always, what would this person do in this situation based mm -hmm. on her past experiences and her trauma and her psychology? Mm -hmm. And so that's really how I approach all my characters, is really not through gender, but through what happened to them right. and, and how they might react to a certain situation. That being said, 
I always try to make them not stereotypes. I always try to make them flawed but strong. Mm -hmm. And I always try to avoid that thing where you're reading a book and you're like, oh, God, this character is so stupid. Why is she doing that? (laughs) So I want people to be, okay, I wouldn't do this in this situation necessarily, but I understand why she's doing this in this situation. Yeah. So that's where I always come from. I don't come from it as like, oh, this is a woman. I come from it like this is a human being with flaws and needs and wants and, you know, a past. Mm -hmm. And how do you think about like character development and the research and the backstory creation behind it? What is that process like before you start putting a lot of pen to paper to sort of develop some of these key characters? Because I find that to be one of the interesting things. Different people approach it differently. But how do you like go out and build that sort of backstory that's going to make them have that richness that you actually want them to have? I'm a very, very big outliner. I outline a ton. And to use an example from, from Lock Every Door, you know, it's this, it's this woman who moves into this, as an apart, takes a job as an apartment sitter in this mysterious, possibly sinister apartment building. And when one of her, one of the other apartment sitters there suddenly vanishes, she decides to try to find out what happened to her. And she uncovers a whole big, scary thing. But so that's really where it started was why would she stay? Mm. And so then in the outlining process, I came up with, okay, she stays one because she needs money. She's desperate. Hmm. She lost her job. She lost her boyfriend. She doesn't have an, she doesn't have an apartment anymore. Mm -hmm. So she needs to stay in this building in order to make some money. And then I put like rules, like the building has rules for its apartment sitters. That was another way of keeping her inside. Hmm. And then, oh, why does she really want to find out what happened to this other apartment sitter who went missing? Well, because it turns out her sister, when she was a teenager, also went missing and they don't know what happened to her. Hmm. And so she has this soft spot for missing girls and, you know, wants to find out what happened. So it's all these little pieces come together in the outlining process. Hmm. So it is, it is just the more you think about it, the more these things can you know, fall into place. And how much time does that take, like that process? How much time do you spend in the like the building this out before you start really putting heavy pen to paper for at least that first? It really depends on the book. Like the my the one that I just finished and my editor now has, I really didn't outline that at all. Hmm. That was more like, okay, I'm just gonna write and see what happens and you know, adjust as I go along. But my last one, Home Before Dark. I spent probably seven to eight months wow. outlining it because hmm. the plot was so complex. It mm-hmm. was, you know, it's, it's a book within a book and right. the chapters alternate and one reflects the other and they're 25 years apart and things like that. So I really needed to have it, everything fit into place perfectly before I started writing. And so it was all outlining. Like I didn't really write any of it until that whole outline was done from start to finish. Hmm. And once I was writing, the outline really didn't change. Hmm. Wow. So it made, it made the writing process very easy because I had spent so much time thinking about it and structuring it and plotting it out. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
And so you write in a genre too, like, so this thriller kind of, you know, genre here, it's sort of designed on some of these like twists and turns. And one of the authors, Melina, she asked a good question, which was, how do you like build that in when you're sort of building it? Because there's, you sort of got to have this, the right amount of it where it can't be like every corner you turn in, there's like a thing. It's this right balance you have. Right. And then it also has to resolve in it. How do you like, how do you use you know, intentionality, I guess I'll say, to sort of think about the right balance here. So it's not like a, it fits in the way that you think about it. That, that is part of the outlining process as well. Um, like to use home, um, lock every door as another example. I knew I wanted to do an apartment sitter in a creepy apartment building. Mm-hmm. So then it became, okay, what's going down in this apartment building? Mm-hmm. That has to be, so I addressed that like, even before I started outlining. Like, okay, I need to figure out what's going on here. And then I can sort of build the steps to bring us there. Mm-hmm. And so I usually do try to figure out the twist very early on. Mm-hmm. Like I, I start with, here's the idea. Here's the log line. Here's the characters. What's the end game? Mm-hmm. And then you can sort of structure how you see best to lead up to the end game. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my twists are built in before. Before I really start outlining. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes one will just spring up all of a sudden. You'll be writing, you're like, wouldn't it be cool if <laughs> this? And then sometimes you can do it, and sometimes we're like, mm, no, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> so it, it's trial and error. Yeah, yeah. And and how how many versions of you know the first draft, you send something to beta readers, your early readers behind it, or your editor. What's the cycle times that this goes through before it winds up like, you know this goes to copy editing, it's done here. How many times do you sort of revise things before it's ready? Again, it, it varies from book to book. Like Lock Every Door, it was funny. My editor was like, we're good to go. And I was like, no, there's still some more things I want to change about it. She's like, really? I'm like, yes, just give me like two more weeks. And so she was sort of taken aback because she thought I was ready to go. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. But the one before that, last time I lied, was so many revisions. Mm-hmm. so many versions i was writing up until like i have to have like a book finished finished and ready for copy edits by christmas hmm. and so i think last time i lied i handed in like on the 23rd of december <laughs> and that was after like two weeks of like major major like rewriting the final 100 pages so it it, it, it again it depends on on the book so crappy gifts were given that year is what you're telling they us. really were i was in a mood that Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't bother. You're getting, a, you're getting a stack of messed up paper here. And you're getting, <laughs> uh, this, you know, bro- chewed up like a uh, baby Ruth candy bar. That's all you get this year. That's it. <laughs> and you're, you'll be grateful. I, I do have your, your, your uh, latest book here, by the way. I think one of the latest. Yeah. Second latest. My Second most latest. recent is home before dark. Yeah. I, I turn them out now. People are like <laughs> quit writing so much, but my publisher likes it that way. So I keep doing it. So here's one of the things interesting about it. So you literally are like the, the least good at telling people that this is a pseudonym. You literally tell people on it that like, <laughs> that like so like if this were like catfishing, this is like the worst catfisher ever. And this one here about it, I, I, you know, tell folks the story a little bit about how, how Riley Sanger came to be and how like, you know, how does this happen where you sort of write under multiple pseudonyms and stuff like that? How, how did that journey happen? So yeah, I, I wrote three books under my real name. And they just, they didn't sell at mm-hmm. all. Like it just was pitiful. <laughs> and, and so it was really, I was at a crossroads. I mean, like 
I had a publishing deal and then they just dropped me. And around the same time I was laid off from my newspaper job. So it would just was like, cause most writers have a day job. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, writing is a nice income supplement or a hobby or, or whatnot. And so I was like, oh, if the writing doesn't pan out, I still have my job. Right. And if my job doesn't pan out, I still have my writing. Both in like a month of each other was pretty scary. So I came up with the idea for what would become Final Girls. Hmm. And I wrote it very, very quickly. I wrote the first draft in like nine weeks because I was um, desperate (laughs) and I had nothing else to do. So... And I wrote it and my agent read it and said, you know, this is great. This has breakout potential. This could be pretty big. You should use a pen name. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. And she said, like, I always, I, when I tell these stories, I have to preface, like, can I swear? Of course. Absolutely. Okay, you should good. swear. Fuck yes, you should swear. There you go. So my, I mean. So my agent laid it out for me. She's like, okay, so, you know, you've had these books under your real name. They didn't sell. If we send final girls to editors with your real name on it, they will first thing they'll do is go to your sales record. And they, based on that, they will give you a shitty deal with a shitty cover and shitty publicity. And you will be right back where you are right now. Mm. And this book does not deserve that. And so when she put it that bluntly, I was like, yeah, I really want to avoid all that shittiness that happened in my past with my books. And so we submitted it blind. She told editors, it's a pen name. I'm not going to tell you anything more. Really? You you have to base your response to this book, not on past sales, but on the book itself. Hmm. And we had... It came down to four editors wanted it. And I had conversations with all four where they did not know my real name. Really? Yes. It was very weird. (laughs) People calling me Riley. And I'm like, this is weird. So they had to base their judgments and their offers just blind and on what they thought the book could sell. And I had a great conversation with the woman who later became my editor at Dutton Books. And... She was the first editor I talked to. And afterwards, I told my agent, I know I have to talk to other editors, but I'm pretty sure she's the one. Hmm. And it turned out to be the, the case. Yeah. That's very cool. That's very cool. Well, and it, it was interesting too. I mean, so this, the, the choice, uh, the, the name for Riley, and I, I read some of this about it, how you chose. So first of all, I had a dog named Riley. So I felt like this real affinity right there. <laughs> I was like, this is great. But how do you come up with a pen name? How, how did that happen? Because I mean, I read the story about it a little bit, but sort of share the folks how, you, how this happens. It was really weird. My agent said, think of like an old family name. And so I just gave her like, well, my maternal grandmother's maiden name is Sager. And she said, ooh, I like that. I'm like, okay, good. Last name done. Now the, the first name, my agent suggested initials because she wanted something gender neutral. Mm-hmm. and. I would later get a lot of flack for that in certain circles. Turns out, yeah. Yes. So she wanted something gender neutral and initials. And so my original instinct was going to be, my parents' name were Ray and Linda. So I was going to do R.L. Sager. Mm -hmm. And then like after like literally five seconds, I was like, oh, yeah, R.L. Stein sort of has the market cornered on those initials. 
Yeah. And then it's ironic because he did blurb lock every door, which is very <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, okay, RL's out of the picture. So I just went to a list of like gender neutral baby names that were very popular. And <laughs> Riley was like number three. And I'm like, oh, that's RL, Riley Sager. That's got a certain ring to it. I think that will be my new name. So that's how that's how that happened. That's cool. And what and is it it's like been when- working out for me? Pretty good so far. Turns out, right? Like now, do you do you ever come to the point where you're like, I think I got to change my name, my real name to this one, or is this like, is it always going to be like the like? Does does it ever come that point? Because now it's it is. I mean, it is interesting here because you literally says on it like a the pseudonym of an author, right? Like it kind of like yeah. And, like, and my real name is on the copyright page, <laughs> right? Right. Like that's that's the 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 corker after before Final Girls came out after the Stephen King attention, which we'll probably get into later. There were I, you know, Googled Riley Sager, because why not? And there were like Reddit forums trying to figure out who Riley Sager was. And people were like, who's Riley Sager? Who is this person that Stephen King is tweeting about? And one person who had an advanced copy looked at the copyright page. (laughs) And I think he was like some teenager in like the UK. I don't know how he got a copy. And he said, he tweeted at me. I know your real name because I saw it on the copyright page. I'm like, you kid are smart. Yes. It is not a secret. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, and, 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 you know, to your point, like it's, it is, and you did get a little flack from it because there's a bunch of articles that came out saying that, you know, that you are impersonating, you're, 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 you're writing a, a, about a female character and you're sort of, you know, sort of like hiding the ball here a little bit here. Did you expect that to happen as a result of this at all? None. It was it was very surprising, and and honestly, it was my my publisher's idea. Yeah. To they said, you know, we want the focus to be on the book and right. not you. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's great. Yeah. I didn't want. I didn't do any events for Final Girls. Mm-hmm. I. It was really weird to just be sitting back that summer the book came out and watching it get all this attention without really doing anything. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of became like people thought that, oh, they're being cagey mm. and they're trying to trick people into thinking it's a woman because it's narrated by a woman. And it just, there was like a two week period where it got pretty bad. <laughs> like there was, there was, it was like in Jezebel, there was like a piece in the Atlantic about yeah. like men trying to fool readers by using yeah. gender neutral pen names and, and I was like part of this article and they never like asked me for a quote they had other people talking about me. So it was, it was yeah. all very, very strange. And it, it kind of blindsided me and I felt really bad because I didn't want anyone to think, Hey, we're trying to, you know, fool you. So that, after that, we just decided, you know, it's, you know, it's not a secret. It's not right. a big deal. Right. He's a dude. His real name is anywhere you can, you know, Google yeah. Riley Sager. And I think my real name just pops up. Right yeah, next yeah, to it. it's, so it's yeah. all that died down. Yeah, your catfishing skills are terrible, frankly. Like we, you know, it. Uh, you've done a poor job. Listen, that's not your awful, terrible. No, I would, I would not have like a, a good life of crime. What do you tell people who are maybe early in their careers? These are, you know, a lot of people in their college twenties or something like that. Like, how do you tell them to think about this idea of building? Your name as an author, the risks of it, that, you know, it's worked out for you, but the little torturous way to get there in some ways. What, what do you t- tell people? Well, I think most people understand the name 
once I explain it as, you know, it was simply a business decision. Right. And publishing, and a lot of people forget this because there is a lot of creativity involved. Mm -hmm. Publishing is indeed a business. Turns out. (laughs) And, And yeah, and a lot of writers sort of lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're quite prepared for the business aspect of it. And mm-hmm. so like I consider Riley Sager not really like an alter ego, but sort of like, you know, there are actors whose real names aren't right. the names that you see on the marquee. Yep. And you know, they have like their lives and then they have their lives as mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to think. I think I Emma think Stone. Yeah, yeah, it might be like a real name, a stage name. So, so I think of it that way. It's it's Mm -hmm. sort of like the business face of you know me. Mm -hmm. I want to let Haley ask it. First of all, I loved Home Before Dark. I used it as a book model through my upcoming novel, and it's just really kept me going. I love how I can kind of track the horror and thriller like conventions and tropes within it. So, because it has like such a modern and classic feel to it. What, how did you integrate like different uh, maybe books or movies that inspired you? Thank you. That's, that was intentional. Yeah. I, I like to do, I mean, some people, I call it like homage. Some people just say I'm ripping things off and, you know, to each his own. But yeah, I, I do. I, I think like the conventions of thriller and horror, they're kind of shorthand. Like we all know what they are. And so I think it really helps to quickly establish a mood and stakes if we kind of lean in to these tropes or stereotypes that we've seen before and then sort of try to put a different fresh spin on them. And so that was my goal with that book is I definitely wanted to get some Amityville horror in there and some Hill House and some some other, you know, classic haunted house themes and then just twist it just a little bit so you so it doesn't feel like a complete retread of something you've read before. So that's that's my my you know you can lean into it but then try to give us something fresh to make it interesting. Love it. Ashley who wanted to also is interested in thriller here. Uh, I'll let you ask the question here a little bit about writing uh, writing thriller. Yes, thank you. Hi also. I'm also a huge fan um, and one piece of advice for approaching that plot twist or sort of how you work to then use that to sort of recontextualize the rest of the story and like how to make like something really authentic that isn't just kind of devaluing the rest of the story. I do not like plot twists for the sake of plot twist. Hmm. I like plot twists that have a bit of resonance and to use lock every door's example, no spoilers, but like what's going on in that building is insane. But also at the same time, once you think about it, it might not be that insane. And it's actually more scary than what I think a lot of people were thinking it was going to be because I sort of lead you in one direction and then be like, oh no, it's not this, it's this. And so, but the, the, the twist in that book really gets at the heart of like Jules's financial struggles. And, you know, there's a lot of, economic disparity is discussed in this book. And so like, I, I like twists that sort of reflect themes that are already there that might be simmering under the surface that people don't notice until the twist hits. So it, it really is like 
I don't like the twist that's just something pulled out of a hat to surprise people. Like, I like a twist that surprises people and then has more resonance. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so that's that's what I try to do with my, my plot twists. Got it. It's good. Thank you. It's a good one. And, and how do you how do you keep track of all that sort of stuff? Like, because you, you do have, you know, you've got this outline here. Are you constantly like kind of updating that? Is there like sort of this guiding principles document that you have that Chris was asking a little bit about? Like, because it is like, you know, you're right. And these are long things that you have to do. You got to keep a lot of, a lot of balls in the air. How do you kind of like guide those key things that, you know, are important while also trying to like not lose steam and momentum of like, I've got words down. How do you do that balance? Yeah. Like I do update the outline a lot. Mm-hmm. But then as, as you're writing it and, and revising, you tend to just memorize the whole book. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's funny. Like, my editor will be like, wait, did you mention this? I'm like, yes, I mentioned the character mentioned this on page, like, 155. And I can't believe you missed it. Did you read that? But then, so, like, you really do, like, kind of know where everything is at every place in the book. Yeah. And then as soon as it's finished it vanishes. <laughs> like, I, I was doing a Zoom conversation where someone asked me a question about one of my books and I literally had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> like I couldn't remember this thing in this book that I wrote. I'm like, I'm like, I honestly forget everything about that character and that subplot. I'm sorry. So it is when you're working on it, it's just ingrained in you. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done, it just all goes away. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Well, so, so I want to go a little, one of the things that we were chatting about on email when we first uh, chatted is just, is just how important, you know, you talked about it earlier here that, you know, while books are a creative endeavor, they are also a business. And I think a lot of times authors don't think about those things. What are some of the things that you, you know, sort of encourage younger authors to understand about, you know, the world of publishing, publishing books, careers getting into it? Like, what is the stuff that you would tell yourself you know, when you were just getting into it that you, you know now? Well, one, like I always tell authors, what do you want to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Because that, that's very important. And there's no right or wrong answer. A, a friend of mine who works at the LA Times had his debut book come out this year. And I said, like, what is your goal? Like, do you want to be a full-time author mm-hmm. or do you want to keep reporting? And this is just, you know, sort of like a hobby for you. And he's like, I like my job. I like being a reporter. This is just sort of a side gig. I'm like, then you're good. Keep doing what you're yeah. doing. So it really is like on what you personally want to get out of it. And if, if it is like, I have a story to tell and I want other people to read it. That's wonderful. If it's, I want to become rich and famous and become a full-time author that's more difficult and <laughs> it requires some strategizing. So that's, that's the thing. Like you, you have to have a strategy going in. Mm-hmm. So you sort of figure out and your goals can change over time. When I first started, it was, Oh, I just want my name on a book. Mm-hmm. Like yep. Really? It was like, I want to write a book and have my name on that cover and that'll be good. And then once that happens, I was like, well, maybe I'd like to be more successful than this or sell more copies than this. So it, it became like a matter of, you know, authors do have to think about what's trending mm-hmm. in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yet you can't follow the trend because they come and go so quickly that, you know, you could write your sparkling teenage vampire romance <laughs> and then 
three years from now, no one wants sparkling teenage vampire romances what? anymore. That's not yeah. the thing anymore. Ah. So it, so don't follow trends. <laughs> so it, yeah, it is like just figure out what you want and try to go for that goal. And so if you do want to become, you know, a best-selling full-time author, you will need to be more mainstream about things. Mm-hmm. I mean, in many instances, you do. Like, there are always these wonderful outliers who become, like, huge successes. But, I mean, the more mainstream you are, the more books you sell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is a matter of, like, what's important to you and your story. Is it to tell the story or is it to sell books? Yeah. And do you find like, you know, now that you are, you know, you look back at the, the first sets of books that didn't do as well behind it and the new one was, do you think it was, were you as intentional about sort of some of those choices then as you are now? Or how did you like, what do you look back and handicap those first ones that maybe you didn't know that? I, I didn't know anything. <laughs> and, and that was, that was one of my mistakes. It's like yeah. I didn't know anything yet. I was afraid to ask questions. Interesting. And so that's something like always don't be afraid to ask questions, you know, to your agent or to your editor, like just ask them because they don't know what you don't know. Right. Like they assume that you know what you need to know. And I didn't know anything that I needed to know. Hmm. And so I just, I went into the whole publishing process completely unprepared. Hmm. Like I I just assumed like, oh, if they're publishing this book, they're going to promote this book. No, not the case for many, many books. (laughs) And so I I just, I didn't know that. And so I was sort of caught by surprise when I was like, why isn't my publisher promoting this book? Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, know your market better Mm -hmm. is another thing. Know that it's going to be very, very difficult to find an audience. Like it's very, it's, it's strange speaking about this because like I got very, very, very lucky. You know, I had Stephen King read final girls six months before it came out and tweet to his like million plus followers that it was good. You know, he called (laughs) it the, you know, the first great thriller of 2017. Pinch me, pinch me. Right. And, And so that tweet changed my life completely. And then because of that tweet, you know, like, a couple of weeks later, it was in Entertainment Weekly. Like there was the book and the cover in Entertainment Weekly months <laughs> before it came out. So it just was like, and this is not something anyone can plan. You cannot right. plan this at all. Right. So it just was complete blind love. And so now it's a matter of, okay, let's try to keep the momentum going. And so yeah. I do try to make decisions like, what does my readership expect of me? How far can I push them, you know, out of their comfort zone without alienating them? And so it is becomes like with every book, there are discussions with my my editor and my agent, like, okay, do you think we can do this? And my readers will go along with it. Mm-hmm. So, so far they have, and it's been great. So yeah. there, there may come a time where I write something where my readers are just like, nah, we're good. <laughs> we're not interested. Have you got to meet Stephen King since that time? Have you had like oh, a gosh? No, I I do not want to meet him. I'd be terrified. <laughs> like, hello, you 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 god of letters who right. changed my life completely. Like, I just I would I would make an ass out of myself. <laughs> like, I get really nervous meeting other really super famous authors. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like I, I met Margaret Atwood once and oh, I just really? was like, cool too. Oh, I'm stupid. I can't really speak now. So it's, it's very strange. Like when I meet other authors and so now I, but I do also try to keep that in mind when I have other people approach me now. Yeah. And if they seem a little nervous, it's like, please, I'm, I'm not Margaret Atwood. I know nothing. <laughs> don't, you, just don't be nervous. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, that's, and I think that's part of the, the, you know, it's interesting to sort of think about this one too, that like, this is, we as authors are always evolving and can always do those things and sort of change behind it. And I think to your point, like, you know, you still fan, you still fanboy on, on Stephen King. That's an awesome thing to like, not forget. <laughs> like we all still have those things, even though your book has been an entertainment weekly and still cool things, uh, still things surprise you even that way. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been weird to my, my editor likes to say like, I don't, I'm not aware of like how famous I am. Yeah. And I think that's bullshit because I don't think I'm famous, but like there, there have been moments where like I introduced myself to other authors and they'll be like, we, 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 yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> it's like, and it just always catches me off guard. Always. You got thriller author, like, you know, everyone, it's funny. I got to, when I was reading all of the praise here, I mean, the, the praise writers, right. Really like there's the funny words they use. It's like, like, what were the words I was laughing at as I was writing it? Tightly plotted suspense, shockingly twisted conclusions. Like feels like a Mad Libs machine here when you write these things behind it. Do you like, have you written some of these? Do you write like in these funny ways that like uh, thriller people write for, uh, to give praise to people? It's the, 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 the blurb, the industrial blurb <laughs> complex is insane. Like, I don't think blurbs sell books at all. Mm-mm. Yeah. Everyone needs them. Yeah. And so it's this weird process of like, you're chasing down blurbs while other people are chasing you for blurbs. I get blurb <laughs> requests all the time. Yeah. And a lot of times I just, I say no, because I just, I'm, I'm busy writing a book. Yeah, it turns out, right? Like, yeah. And so like, I really don't have time to read this book, but yeah, you you do tend to like fall into these, you know, zany, (laughs) weird, like I I try to be fresh about it. Twisted heart pounding ride. Like it felt like that was one that like, really guys, can't you do any better than that? Like, like there's, there's a book coming out in, in May that I got to read in advance and it's, it's, it's called, it's, it's called the hunting wives. And it's insane in, in a great way. And I wrote a blurb and part of it, I said, you know, this is the kind of book your mother warned you about, <laughs> which I thought was a great blurb. Yeah. And they didn't use that. They didn't use that one on the cover. And it's like, oh, come on. I'm giving you a really cool blurb. Yeah. You need like a, you need more zany words in it. If you would say something zany, they would, they would sort of love it. So, so they, they, they use, they use the other piece of it on the cover and I'm like, okay, that's, He's the boring part. Safe bets here. So, so now that you're like a thriller guy here, right? Like, what if there's if there's a genre that you would do that would be wildly different than that one? Is there a book that you would take a risk on? You know, kind of like this is your your art nouveau sort of thing that you would do very differently in the the world of actor. What one would you are you most intrigued to take your hand at at some point down the road? I'm really am not that ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, like I I really don't. I mean I. Like my, I do sort of straddle that line between horror and thriller. Right. right. And, you know, some, one of these days I might be like, okay, I'm just going full out horror, horror. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm just going to try to scare the pants off of all of you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would do that though. 
So mm-hmm. like, it's, it's weird. Like I'm, I'm pretty happy with my niche that I have right now and don't really want to break out of it. I mean, you could go children's. I mean, I have kids like you could do children's books. Like, that could be your move, right? Like horror well, I mean, children's. I, I have thought about like doing a YA or a middle grade book, but it would still be sort of like yeah. a, a, a horror type thriller, just more age appropriate. It, so. it would be a little weird if you like, if you did like a children's picture book and like, you know, had like killing clowns and stuff like that, that might be a little, it'd be on brand, but it would be a little off-putting, I guess. <laughs> it would be, I'd, I'd have to do it in a really cuddly way. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The creepy apartment move probably wouldn't be good for my children if they suddenly now know that the apartment building has creepy things going on in it. So we'll, let's, we'll, we'll hold off on that one until they get a little older. Now that you are, you know, a famously sort of well-established author, how do you like battle perfectionism, right? Like how do you sort of fight through that one? Cause there's gotta be moments where you're like, nervous that this you know i've had this one this success can i can i do it again how do you get past book one into book two to kind of get beyond it i don't know i'm still i still struggle with that like i i am the king of imposter syndrome like that's why like reading bad reviews doesn't really affect me all that much because i've said much worse (laughs) stuff about myself (laughs) than than what any someone on goodreads could say about me so it, it really is just a matter of I don't know. I, I, I wish I, I, I had a way to sort of push past that, but I'm always very diff- hard on myself. And I think maybe that's part of my process and makes my books better because I am so hard on myself that I don't settle for maybe like the first idea mm-hmm. where I am like, no, you suck. You can be better than this. Make it better now, damn it. <laughs> and it, I just eventually get there. But I'm, I'm always convinced that like my next book is my worst book until like those first sort of reviews start trickling in. And then I you normally can breathe a sigh of relief because I can't tell you like, like for example, Home Before Dark, I just was like, this is, this is the one they're going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> and it's all over now. So it was a good run. And so it was generally a surprise when people were like, I like this book. So I, you just, you just don't know. Tom, you yeah. start getting your question here for him. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Eric. How do you construct and humanize these characters so that scary scenes aren't just so scary because they're scary, but they're scary also because they're happening to these characters that you care about? Yeah, it, it has to have some kind of mental component. Like this has to be not just what might be scary to the reader, but what's scary to the character. Hmm. And I mean, I think I'm too nice to my characters in some ways. Like I don't think I could ever really, you know, like kill off one of them, like in the last chapter or something like I'm, I think I like my characters too much. So I I tend to play it a little safe sometimes, but yeah, it has to have a psychological component to what the characters are going through. But also at the same time, it's fun to figure out what the readers might be frightened of too and exploit that as well. And I often do that by sort of looking at my own fears. Like there is a scene in Home Before Dark involving snakes that is horrifying and I can't believe I wrote it because I'm terrified of snakes, but that's where it came from. I went, okay, if I'm scaring the pants off of me writing this, then hopefully readers will feel the same way as they're reading it. So you sort of have to like look at what you're also afraid of and just go for it. I really do appreciate it greatly. I know uh, 
you're going to have some 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 more scary and more. Thank you.